Hello everyone and welcome to Fathom. My name is Anizi and I'm your host. Here at Fathom, we believe that in order to lead a joy-filled and fulfilling life, one must have the courage to pursue that which they find meaningful. But how do you do that in our busy modern world where internal and external obstacles abound? Through conversations with guests who are experimenting with life and adulting relatively successfully, or courageously I should say, will bring raw and honest conversations that will hopefully add value to you, our listener. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Fathom. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of Fathom. Before we get started, I would like to ask you, yes, you, to please head over to your favorite platform, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and any other platform that you listen from and give us an amazing review, five stars all the way. But if you could also please, you know, share with us your written review. We like to read um, what you are finding useful or what you're liking about the episodes. So it's always a pleasure to read what people are enjoying about the podcast. I also wanted to say that we are also on Instagram at fathomwithanisi. If you could go over there as well and give us a follow so that you don't miss on what's happening over there as well. And you can be notified, you know, whenever we drop a new episode. And on that note, I'd like to introduce you to my next guest, who is Dr. Cindy Cassidy. Dr. Cassidy is a clinical psychologist with over 35 years of experience as a practitioner and a scholar in the field of gender-based violence, child abuse, addiction, and trauma. She holds a PhD and master's degree in clinical psychology and a master's in peace studies and conflict resolution. She has been living in Rwanda for almost 10 years and is currently a senior clinical psychologist working with trauma and addiction at Centre Ichizere and Ndera Neuropsychiatric Hospital in Kigali. She's also a visual artist and the recurring themes of her works focused on women and children and the important role women play in society and the family. I'm really excited to dig into this conversation, and I would encourage you to listen, be attentive, and also you know, share it with people that you think um, might benefit from this conversation. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Um, once again, welcome to Fathom. Today, uh, we are joined uh, by Cindy, Dr. Cindy Cassidy, who's a therapist. I just introduced her. Um, and in this month of Mental Health Awareness Month, you know, I want to have a series of conversations um, on mental health. But my focus is always, you know, to share with people, um, to have conversations that are actually going to leave you either uh, introspecting further or, you know, thinking about how you can improve your own mental health. So it's very good to have you and Dr. Cindy in studio. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being here. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah thanks for doing this. Um, I think we've, there's a time, last year, I don't know if you remember at the um, Serena Mental, I think it was like a mental health report uh, workshop that yes. was taking place you know yes. that's how I first learned about you and of course because you work with a lot of people in Kigali you know people talk about yeah you know Dr. Cindy is my therapist so <laughs> you're a lot of uh, people's therapist uh, so it's very good to have you here thank you um, so yeah for background how long have you been in Rwanda and what has been your work here um, I've been here almost 10 years. Okay. Um, it's gone quickly. Mm. Um, I work as a clinical psychologist for Indera, okay. Neuropsychiatric Hospital. Mm. Um, recently have started working also with King Faisal. Okay. Um, and then have a private practice. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. And you're originally from the U.S.? Yeah. California. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, I mean, I can imagine when you first came 10 years ago and <laughs> today, you know, the, let's say, like, awareness, uh, you know, around mental health and also uh, the availability of services, you know, the picture then is different from the picture now. Can you share with us, like, what you've observed, like, in those you know, 10 years? 
It's been an interesting transition. Yeah. Um, when I first came, I actually was more focused on academics, mm -hmm. and I was teaching. Mm -hmm. And But the landscape for mental health was really mostly focused on April and the month of commemoration. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say there was a lot happening um, the rest of the year. Um, but I've seen a mm. huge shift mm. in awareness, in curiosity. Mm. Um, actually, before COVID, mm. I really saw youth taking, <clears throat> excuse me, charge of um, social media mm. and bringing up issues that were challenging, not very comfortable to talk about, mm. depression, suicide. Mm. Um, and I think that opened the door mm. um, in a, in a much more grassroots sort of way for people to start thinking about mental health, talking about it in a less stigmatized way. Mm, yeah. Mm. And, and as far as services, mm. <clears throat> in the last, I don't know, four or five years, mm. I think there have been many more um, private clinics starting. People are much more interested in um, providing accessibility mm. to mental health services. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, even myself, it's something that I've observed, right? Like from, you know, back in the day growing up where conversations around mental health would only come up in extreme yeah. cases. You know, someone has been sent to Ndera. Right. And it would be, you know, something that you don't, you, you don't want. You don't want to, to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it or even like <coughs> think yeah. that, that yeah. could happen, you know, to mm. anyone that you know or you love, you know, to now where I feel like a lot of people not only uh, look at, let's say, mental health care as something to uh, go to, you know, when you're in distress, but as something to incorporate in their lives, you know, um, and use as they need it. And, and even being proactive. Exactly. <clears throat> preventive. Mm -hmm. um, I never really thought I would see, <coughs> sorry, okay. I have a beginning of a cold. Mm. I, I didn't think, I mean, when I first came, nobody really talked about mental health. And it was just, you know, and there is the place for homosazi and mm. oh, pole pole. <laughs> sorry, mm. you know, yeah. if you have to go there. And now um, I have people coming who are saying, I want to work on personal growth. And mm. I'm like, wait, where am I? <laughs> hey, you know, this does not feel like the Rwanda I knew mm. when I first came. Um, I have people bringing their parents for therapy, oh, wow. saying, Mom, mm. you know, I think you have some, some issues that you've mm. been holding for a long time. Um, I think my oldest client is in his late 70s. Oh, wow. um, and he's really, you know, mm. um, very motivated. Mm. Um, so I, I think it's a, a mind shift, you mm. know, in the way people are thinking. Um, people are taking better care of themselves, mm. spiritually, mentally, sure. physically. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of an exciting trend. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I also think, I mean, it's hard to compare because maybe back in the day, we didn't have like a lot of data on like, what is the actual situation. But I also think I mean, the the lifestyle that a lot of people lead nowadays is much more stressful. So, mm. so sometimes I try to understand, like, you know, what's what's causing this like increase in like mental health awareness, and you know, so either it's because like life is much more stressful and people mm -hmm. actually need you know mm -hmm. access to care, or th that like connectivity, people know what's happening, you know, in the world. I think yeah. it's an intrinsic part yeah. of development of a country. That's true. I really do. Mm. You know, like more people, so you have more couples, both mm. parents are working mm -hmm. um, to have, you know, whatever they consider their standard of living. Mm. Um, and so that creates stress for them, for the family, uh, and it just trickles down. Mm. Um, and, and there's a faster pace of life I think now mm. than there was when I came 10 years ago mm, in Kigali yeah. you know there's more push there's more hurry mm. um, yeah very good alright so one of the topics that I wanted to you know discuss with you uh, about is childhood trauma mm. um, it's it's an important topic and I think as people you know grow and 
want to dig deep and not just like deal with you know surface level problems it's a place that a lot of people realize oh i need to go there i need mm-hmm. to understand like what you know happened in my childhood um but my first question would be like what circumstances does one have to go through to conclude that their childhood was traumatic um that's a very interesting question yeah. it's kind of a loaded question yeah. in in terms of i think people have a tendency to think oh if i if I go back and I revisit my childhood, mm. um, I'm going to end up blaming my parents, mm. right, for something that happened. And I don't think that's necessarily, um, it, it needs to be the case. Um, so there are a lot of different factors in childhood trauma. Um, one of the things that I'm seeing more and more and people, adults, are talking about more and more are uh, experiences that happen at boarding school, mm. uh, bullying, wow, um, things that happen in a child's everyday life that often the culture and society and parents um, see as... I've had parents tell me, I, you know, I think it's important for my child to go to boarding school. It's going to build his character. He needs to toughen up. Mm. He needs to deal with life, right? Mm. But I haven't yet met anybody who said, I loved boarding school. Mm, it was the sure. best experience of my life, you know? I, um, I think it depends on the child and their personality, but mm. many have um, some really bad experiences mm. um, that include bullying, mm-hmm. that include um, feeling humiliated. And so, so that's one area. Um, other uh, things that can contribute to childhood trauma obviously are, you know, things that we all kind of know can happen, um, uh, you know, being sexually molested, um, being physically abused, um, having a parent who um, has a substance abuse problem, um, who becomes, you know, violent or mean or aggressive when they're drinking, um, children witnessing mm. domestic violence in the home, mm. um, where one parent is, you know, verbally, emotionally, physically abusive to the other parent. Um, so all of these factors mm. uh, can contribute to childhood trauma. Mm. Um, there's a study that was done in the 70s, I think, and it was called the ACEs study, mm-hmm. um, Early Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm. And this study was kind of a landmark study in terms of looking at um, the, there was a list, I think, of 10 experiences, mm. uh, traumatic experiences. And the more traumatic experiences you have in childhood, the more likely you are to develop um, NCDs later in life. Mm. Cancer, stroke, uh, hypertension, uh, depression, substance abuse. Um, So so there's a really direct connection between our mental health and our physical health. Um, And I think one of the things I've noticed is that the measuring stick for trauma in Rwanda, because of its very unique history mm. of the genocide against the Tutsi, is that people minimize their trauma. True. True, true. And they say, no, no, you know, gosh, I didn't lose my whole family. So who am I to say anything about trauma? Mm. Um, but there are, you know, and, and you had asked about yeah. big T, little t, right? Mm. So big T, of course, would be um, the genocide and the experiences and all of that around that. That's a huge T. Mm. Little T's accumulate mm. and they become kind of a big T, but they, um, they're actually not even recognized in the DSM-5, mm. which is the diagnostic manual that psychologists use and psychiatrists. Um, So it gets discounted Mm. a bit. And then people play it down even more so here because everybody's measuring, Mm. you know, well, no, it's not really that That big big T. Mm. Um, But little T's can affect your life. They Mm. affect your, you know, when you're overwhelmed and you can't cope and your daily life is affected, um, that's trauma, mm. you know. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, can you share more like concrete examples of big T trauma and little T trauma? I mean, you talk about um, 
you give an example like you know genocide against the Tutsi mm-hmm. uh, that's a big traumatic event mm-hmm. um, so things like death of a sibling or a parent that's a big deal that's a big deal trauma yeah um, natural natural disasters, natural disasters. Um, you know the the flooding mm. that we recently had mm. um, that is a big T um, when we had the volcanic eruptions mm. last year that that's a big T mm. um, so natural disasters war mm. um, being a refugee displacement, displacement um, yeah and mm. and so um, divorce um, divorce is interesting it can be a big T or a little T and mm. um, and again, that depends on the relationship of the children with the parents. So in some cases, divorce can actually be a positive thing. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> uh, so for example, if you, you have parents where one parent is very abusive um, and violent and um, the parents divorce and you're no longer, the child is no longer in that toxic environment, that's a constructive thing. That's a healthy thing for the child. Um, I often see parents staying together for the children, but the environment is is really mentally, emotionally killing the kids because mm. it's just not it's not healthy. And then, you know, they grow up and they're like, okay, well, there's this pressure to get married, mm. but why would I want to get married when I've grown up in this environment where I saw my dad sure. beat my mom every day and mm. he came home drunk every night and do I really want to do that? Mm. No, I don't think so. Mm. So, so sometimes it can be, um, mm. I mean, a healthy thing. I yes. know that sounds strange. Yeah. 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 It can lead, I guess, to like better outcomes than yeah. for the kids. For the kids. Yeah. Yes. And little t traumas. What are those? Like neglect, day to day hunger. Um, yeah, day to day bullying. Um, uh, you know, verbal. Um, Parents who maybe have a difficult time uh, being positive, you know, about raising their kids. So they tend to just see all the negatives in in Mm, what the kids are doing. They're misbehaving all the time or something, and they point that out repeatedly. Um, So you grow feeling like, I can't do anything right. I'm never okay. Mm. You know, nothing I do is good enough. Um, Over time, this affects your self-esteem. um, failing in school uh, can be traumatic for some kids. Um, so trauma is a very individual thing. Someone, even a big T, right? Um, depending on your natural resilience, depending on your personality, um, one of the biggest reasons PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, develops is when people avoid either mentally or physically dealing with the trauma. Mm. The more you avoid, the more your chances are of developing PTSD. Mm. Um, But sometimes it's inevitable because the brain sometimes jumps in and protects you from remembering trauma. Um, And and it's a protective mechanism of the brain. So somebody could um, witness a terrible accident or um, they kind of forget the details around the death of a loved one. Um, and that's the brain's way of protecting you from, mm-hmm. you know, from pain and trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the reason, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, wanting us to like, you know, expound and share this is, you know, so that, um, cause sometimes like when people think about, you know, their childhood, they're like, oh, I did not lose anyone. Or, right. Um, I went to school. I was provided for. Uh, I still don't understand maybe why you know I struggle. Uh, so it's important to kind of expand the definition of trauma so that mm. people don't necessarily think it's these big things like your child wouldn't have to gone through um, the unthinkable. It can still be you know it was everything was fine, but there was these little there were these little things, things that happened that were happening that, I, yeah. that still you know affects how I see myself today or the decisions I make today and it stems, you know, from childhood. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a fine line with the little T's. Mm. I think um, the word, oh my God, that was traumatic or, mm. oh, trauma, you know, I think it gets misused. Yes. It's overused. Mm. Um, 
But as you were saying, there are these little things that mm -hmm. add up, and usually little T's add up. Mm -hmm. So there's an accumulation of stuff. Over so time. over time, and then it becomes kind of a middle T, mm -hmm. you know, not mm -hmm. really big, big like a genocide or mm -hmm. war. Mm -hmm. um, but it affects your your self-esteem. It affects the way you uh, relate and attach to others. And um, mm -hmm. so that maybe this something happened and then you did poorly in school or you started isolating yourself from your friends and family. Mm -hmm. um, those are traumatic events for kids. Mm -hmm. and, and what we as adults would think it's no big deal, mm -hmm have to remember that kids see the world very differently, very differently. Their perception of the world and the people around them um, is different because they're very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they, they depend on grownups to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, maybe to conclude this conversation in childhood, I think um, let's say even if we take the word trauma out of this, mm -hmm. I think childhood in general, I think it's worth exploring because... Um, even other things that might not necessarily be like very problematic, like this is how I approach relationships, or how I approach money, or how I approach, um, or my beliefs around certain things. Sometimes those are shaped in our early days, you know. So sometimes it's always good to understand, like you know, why do I have these preferences? Maybe it's because that's what I grew up, you know, exposed to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how anyone can reach adulthood yeah. without being influenced by their childhood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. think there's an absolutely direct connection mm. between what happens to us as kids mm. and then how we are shaped uh, as adults. Um, I think all of us can go back and remember actually specific things that people told us about ourself. Mm. Um, so for example, um, good labels and bad labels, right? So somebody may say, oh, you know, uh, you're lazy, or uh, you're not serious, mm. or why are you so stupid? Or um, you never finish what you start. Um, you're careless. You're careless. Um, yeah, you're, you're bad, you know, you're a bad kid. Um, those words stay with us and they impact us. And it's, you know, and sometimes we remember the good things too. I mean, you know, oh, you're, you're amazing, you're brilliant, you work so hard, you're such a kind, compassionate kid. I really, you know, I, I, this is where I think um, as a, I have four daughters. Mm. So as a parent, I think, it's so easy to point out what's not working mm. with our children, mm. you know, and, and to criticize that. But it takes a bit more effort to, to see the positive things that they're doing and reinforce that and say, you know, I really like how you took care of your little brother this morning. That was so helpful. Thank you. Most parents don't do that mm. um, in every culture, you know. Mm. Um, and And... I don't know. I think we need to be more intentional as mothers, as fathers, um, to really let our kids know when they're doing it right. Mm, mm, affirm them. Yeah, affirm, yeah. Mm, well, that's good. Um, can you share with us, you know, some unhealthy coping mechanisms that, you know, some of us develop to deal with unaddressed childhood trauma? I think one of the biggest ones... Um, that I see in in Rwanda is um, substance abuse, okay. um, and I'm really not even talking about you know cocaine and all of the, those drugs. Mm. Alcohol, mm. alcohol. Um, in the time I've been here, I've seen just an incredible increase in the number of people who are struggling um, with alcohol, drinking too much. Um, wanting to, you know, some people have a lot of awareness that this is really a problem, that this is controlling my life, it's impacting my life, but they don't know what to do about that. Um, and if you go back, you can see that there's trauma in their background. And so alcohol becomes a way to self-medicate. Mm -hmm. If I don't want to feel pain, if I don't want to feel anger and hurt and all these negative emotions, let me just have a few drinks and then I'm happy and I don't have to deal with anything. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes this cycle of um, the way they 
you know, cope, which um, is not social drinking. You've crossed over into more of a um, addiction or dependency on alcohol sure. to deal with things. Mm-hmm. Um, other ways are um, some people develop this wall, emotional okay. wall. It's kind of like to protect themselves from getting close to other people. They've been hurt. They don't trust people. Um, so they have this emotional barrier. Um, and, you know, they just kind of distance themselves emotionally from mm-hmm. people. Um, it's not something you would see until you try to have a relationship with sure. them. Mm-hmm. Um, other people sleep too much, eat too much. Work too much. Work too much, absolutely. Work too much. Mm. Um, um, what are some other ways? Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's it's any kind of extreme avoidance mm. technique, you know, to mm. not deal with what has happened um, in the past. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, or self-sabotage. Self-sabotage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um yeah that I mean that is interesting I guess um but the thing the, the thing about these things is that I feel like people do it unknowingly right like you don't necessarily link the reason you let's say you no. work too much to like oh this is because I'm actually avoiding some pain right that I have right and so take yeah. that and then if you take that apart right I'm a workaholic mm-hmm. I I stay at work until 10 at night I work on the weekends I'm away from my family So if you, you know, if that's the onion, right, and you start unpeeling that, Mm. and then, so the next layer is what's happening at home? What are my relationships like at home? Mm. Do I avoid closeness with my wife or my husband? Because, you know, we're having tension and conflict and emotional issues. Mm. Okay, so then keep peeling. Mm. And then you find that I have, you know, problems with um, emotional closeness um, because I've been hurt so much in the past I you know so it's much easier for me just to avoid dealing with conflict and I'll just stay outside of the family and I'll stay at work because that's that's a good thing mm. right I'm productive I'm providing for my family I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong mm. bad mm. I'm really helping the family mm. but really you're avoiding dealing with whatever family issues are there, marital issues, your own personal issues. Mm. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. Um, On the workaholic thing, I also sometimes think that uh, what you were saying earlier of, like, parents criticizing their kids or, you know, taking them apart, sometimes, like, it might also stem from this is the, maybe, like, my academic performance or my performance was the only time I got validation. So I don't know how to relax, because when I relax, I feel like I'm not good enough. Uh, and I, you know, I would say that um, I think there's a, I don't know. I've noticed a, a change in um, the last maybe three years of young parents, parents in their 30s, right? Mm. First time kind of parents mm. who are saying, we want to do this differently. Um, we want to have a stronger, deeper emotional connection with our children, not just providing tuition, shelter, food, you know, the basics and mm-hmm. not, um, but we we want more. And, um, and so what that entails is really looking at how you relate to your children. Mm. Um, and there's this concept of unconditional love, mm-hmm. which I think in some ways is kind of a fantasy, mm-hmm. right? There, <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice okay. to be unconditionally loved, So, mm-hmm. which means that no matter kind of what I do, who I am, how I am, you're going to love me, right? Mm-hmm. Kids want that. Kids really want to be loved no matter what. Mm-hmm. So if I get... You know, if I'm number one in my class or I'm number 52 in my class, mm-hmm. you're going to love me the same, mm-hmm. My worth, my value as a human being doesn't depend on my marks. It'd be nice. You'd be proud of me if I get really good marks. But you still love me because Mm. I am me, you know. And I think that's what kids need and want. Mm. Now, as a parent, it's really difficult Mm. to remember 
you know, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to, (laughs) you know, give love no matter what. Mm. Um, Because we have expectations and we should have expectations Mm. as parents. So it's it's a balancing act. Mm. But I think if kids for the most part feel like there's room for error, I can make mistakes. My mom and dad are going to love me you know, and they're going to ask me, what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, why, be why did you fail this test? Mm-hmm. You know, how could you uh, do it differently next time? Can we help you? You know, is there something that you need, you know, to help you have a better um, mark next time? Mm-hmm. So, so that kind of approach, mm-hmm. um, you still have your expectations. You want your children to do well. You want them to perform well. But you're also understanding that things happen. Mm. You know, they could have a bad day or maybe they had a fight with their friends or maybe things aren't great at home and that's affecting their school performance. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It could be many things. Many things. Yes. Okay. Um, One of the, you know, I guess many ways that people who, let's say, grew, grew up in dysfunctional um, families where they have like dysfunctional relationships, parents and kids, is that as adults it affects the way we relate with you know with other people. And I know this kind of goes into the whole theory of attachment styles. Right. Um, so for someone who's listening to has who does you know has no idea what attachment styles mm. are, you know, what are they and why is it important, you know, for individuals to understand what they're own attachment style is so again i we have to go back to childhood Mm -hmm. um so children uh develop attachment styles based on parenting or Mm -hmm. the caretaking that they receive early in life um and there was a um a man called john bowlby and in Mm the 1950s he did research on um, children's attachment styles to their parents mm. and came up with you know four different kinds of attachment styles. Um, so attachment is the bond between the parent and the child, simply put. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have either a secure bond or an insecure bond mm-hmm. attachment. Um, so there are four kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, anxious, avoidant, um, fearful, avoidant, and then secure. Mm. So the first three are insecure attachments. And it depends on the parent's way of um, understanding their child, communicating with their child, um, responding to the child's needs. Um, if if a baby's crying, right, and they're... I'm going to segue into there's so many different um, in the West, right? Mm. There are so many baby books written about when your baby cries at night, leave them for 20 minutes and then go, you know, pick Mm. them up. Other books said, no, 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 no. Pick them up immediately, soothe Soothe them, them, put them back down. Other books said, you know, no, you just have to tough it out. Just let them cry. They'll, they'll sort themselves out. Mm. But, but, all of that affects how the child perceives the parent's um, mm. um, care. Care, mm. yeah. Like, do you hear me? Do you see me? Do you know I need you? And and so all of that affects how they attach. Um, if you, and, and here's where it gets really complicated, and this is the part that's really difficult for parents. Mm. So as a parent, you parent according to how you were parented. True. That's what you know, mm. right? You can say, oh my gosh, there are things that my mother did I'm not going to do with my children. Mm. And you find yourself doing it, you know? And then it's like, oh, I, I need to work on this. I need to change this. Um, or you feel like you had amazing parents and you want to be just like them. Mm. And, and and that's much easier. Um, so the the experience that the parents have growing up their own background I mean it's like generational Mm. Um, if you are and this is where it's it gets complicated um, in Rwanda because of the genocide Mm. so parents who were pregnant in 94 or 95 Mm. their emotional state you know, you can't even find words to describe, right? How how um, how traumatized. That's the only word I can come up with. Mm-hmm. They are. So this baby in utero 
is um, hmm. affected. And then the baby is born, and the parents are just trying to survive. get to the end of the day. Mm. They, they are trying to survive. So, you know, there's an impact on um, attachment. There's an impact on, um, you know, how the child grows up and emotionally, um, their development. So that's one of the things I'm seeing in, in therapy now mm. is that um, people in their late 20s, early 30s have an understanding, have some insight mm. into the way they were parented is because of this tragedy that their parents went through and this you know, very clear understanding of my mother did the best she could, mm. um, but I need to do things differently. Mm. And when you're raised uh, by a depressed mother, mm -hmm. you have a tendency to also experience depression. Mm. Um, and then we have the whole, you know, issue about epigenetic transmission sure. of trauma mm. in, in this new post-genocide generation. So it's very complicated. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, but what, what is the difference, for example, between anxious attachment and, you know, fearful avoidance? Like, what, how does that manifest okay. in adults? Okay, so, so in yeah. anxious attachment, let's say I'm in a relationship with someone mm -hmm. and um, I have, you know, I'm anxious attached, right? So I... Um, I really want to be in this relationship and I need constant kind of affirmation and reassurance. You love me. You have to, you know, tell me you love me when I text you. Mm. I'm going to wait about five seconds. <laughs> and if I don't get a response, I'm going to be like, oh, my God, where is he? What's he doing? Mm. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. And so my my emotions go from zero to a hundred, mm. you know, really quickly. And mm. I'm I'm very insecure. I um, I need to. My anxiety uh, is always really kind of there, mm. um, and I'm looking for signs that you are as involved in this relationship as I am. Mm. Okay. And and so mm. usually the ending is not a happy one, mm. um, because the other person feels like, ah, oh my gosh, That's too much. Uh, calm down. Yeah. Uh, you're too clingy. Mm -hmm. um, you're too needy. Mm. You're too dependent. Mm. And so they pull away, which causes the anxious person to pursue mm. even more. Yes, I see. So it's a vicious cycle. I see. And the fearful avoidant is when you avoid, you know, connecting with other people. Fearful avoidant is when... Um, avoidant in general. Yeah, well... Yeah. It, so avoidant is different than fearful avoidant. Mm. So avoidant is um, your, you kind of have good self-esteem. Um, you kind of don't really need people to validate you, which is a healthy thing. Mm. Um, but you're not likely to really let people in emotionally. Mm. You kind of have this invisible barrier. Mm. And... Um, you know, you, you don't, you are not vulnerable. You don't, or, yeah. You don't make yourself vulnerable to other people, mm. um, or very few people. Mm. Um, and you, you, you know, if you're married to someone like this, it, they may be a great person, a great provider, um, fun, you know, it, but you don't go deep with them. Mm. You can't really Go past a certain point. Go past a certain point emotionally, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, the fearful avoidant is someone who kind of does push-pull in the relationship, meaning that I really want this relationship. Um, mm -hmm. I love you so much. But when you get close to me... I run. I run. <laughs> I back up, and I'm, like, going. Mm. And, you know, it's... And so then the other person is confused, like you want this, but you don't want you it. You want this, yeah. but you don't want me because I get close to you and then you play games and you mm. don't answer my text for, you know, and, and I see a lot of wow. this. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, let me see how much he loves me. Mm. Let me just wait two days before I respond to the text. Mm. And and this is the, mm. you know, kind push of... Push and pull. Push and pull. Yeah. And then secure attachment mm. is, um, you know, you're, you're just really healthy. You put yourself out there, um, you're emotionally available, mm. um, you you can go deep, you know, uh, with people you trust and love, um, and yeah, it's a, you know, kind of a healthy attachment. Mm, nice. Um, so 
if, for example, uh, you know, let's say I'm in my late twenties uh-huh. and I find that I'm, let's say, fearful of avoidant, um, how do I go from that to secure? Is it through relationships? Yeah. Is it through, you know, th- therapy? Like, what is the process like? How does one become healthy, basically? So. <laughs> Part of the problem <laughs> is that by the time you're in your 20-somethings, uh-huh. right, your personality is pretty developed. Mm. I mean, you're not going to drastically change. So if you're an introvert, you're not going to become an extrovert in your 20s or mm. vice versa. Mm. Same with these attachment styles. They're very ingrained. I'm not saying you can't change, but I guess if you really invested lots and lots of time and energy and, um, you know, self-help kinds of things. Um, Awareness is the first step to anything, Mm. right? Being aware. So how do you become aware? Look at patterns in your relationships with Mm. people. Um, And this is usually I ask something of people. Can you go back and do you see patterns in the way you relate to people, in the people you've had relationships with? And usually people say yes, you know, and this is how it is. And so then that's how their attachment style is. Can you change it? Yes, but you you start with yourself. Mm. You don't start with the other person, right? Because mm. it's not about them. It's mm. really about you. Your feelings of, am I lovable? Um, am I a you know worthy person of being loved? Mm. Um, am, am I, a good, you know, do I like myself? So strengthening self-esteem, strengthening mm. um, independence, mm. um, are you in a relationship because you need to be in the relationship mm-hmm. in order to feel to. Mm-hmm. fulfilled or is it because you want to mm-hmm. and you have something also to bring to the relationship? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I really think if you if you see a pattern of dysfunction in your relationships, you can do absolutely do some work yourself, um, but also therapy is helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. That's good to know. But it sounds like yeah, it's 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 quite some work. Like it's not something it's a lot that of will work. accidentally happen. You yeah. Have to be intentional. I know that you want this, and yes. you know, pay attention. Yes. To your life, how you relate to people, and you know, hopefully start, you know, strengthening these areas that you mentioned mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to get there. Um, yeah. But I think the reason maybe I was also asking like, does this happen through relationships? is because I know like relationships are mirrors of you know who we are and how we relate. So some of these things you can't actually discover them on your own, right? Like to know that oh I'm I'm, I'm attaching securely. It's you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean you you would just say oh, you know, I don't understand why um mm. I I've had five relationships and they never stay. Mm. I don't understand why. What's wrong with me? Yeah. You know, and then then you can start exploring, well, you know, mm. the attachment style stuff. Okay, very good. Uh, so let's talk about therapy because, I mean, I think we've been talking about, about it a lot. Um, I know there are different forms of therapies that exist. I mean, maybe we can even start with you. Like, what kind of therapy do you do with your patients? And what other forms of therapies exist in Rwanda? What could people explore? What do you need for what? Oh, my gosh. This is is like psychology 101. Yeah, this is a textbook. So there are many, many, many different kinds of, of, you know, therapeutic approaches. but I'll try and mm-hmm. keep it in the context of trauma and, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. you know, a trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's CBT, mm-hmm. uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which if you're doing that, it should be trauma informed okay. um, because you are working with trauma. Um, so it means that people's thoughts and their behaviors are connected. Mm. So we often behave because of our beliefs, mm. right? We, we do things because of the way we believe about something. Um, so if I change how I see something or believe about something, then I can change my behavior, mm. right? So, so that's CBT in, mm. a, in a nutshell. Um, and how it relates to trauma is that sometimes the narrative of the event or our beliefs or memories about the event, um, we, we need to 
reframe them. Mm. Um, we need to get some emotional distance from them. So, for example, if someone thinks about um, even a small T event, um, talking about, I mean, I have people, you know, who share stories about they were bullied in school mm. and they're crying. Mm. They're really very emotional telling this story. And they say, I can, I can see myself in the dorm and I can mm. see this girl, you know, and she's doing this and saying these things. They're back there as if it was right now. Yeah. Um, so the therapeutic approach for trauma is to help the brain get some um, distance from the event itself. Mm. Um, and and so CBT is useful for that, EMDR, um, eye movement, desensitization, mm. reprocessing mm. Um, is another technique. Um, and is that available in Rwanda, EMDR? Um, I, I'm not sure how many therapists really have had, you know, formal training in EMDR. Mm. Um, I um, there may be some therapists that that do use it, do mm. know it. Um, um, there's a new in the U.S. Um, there's a whole new approach to dealing with trauma, um, and it's using. Um, psychedelic medications, mm. um, ketamine, um, psilocybin, MDMA. Um, it's a way of helping the brain reprocess the trauma neurobiologically. Mm. And actually, um, ketamine actually helps um, dendrites grow. So one, I'll just talk about depression mm -hmm, for a minute. Mm -hmm. So in depression, one of the theories about depression is that um, the dendrites are shrinking or shriveling up. And mm -hmm. so there aren't as many synapses connecting with others, right? So it's kind of a shrinking, which is mm -hmm. causing the depression. And one um, infusion of ketamine you can actually see dendrites starting to grow. Wow. It's like fertilizer, mm. you know, for for these um, for the brain. So mm. we're um, in the U.S. They they are a lot of uh, ketamine clinics mm. are. Um, I think there's like I don't know 500, 600 now wow. throughout the U.S. Mm. Um, South Africa has uh, ketamine clinics. Mm. We are going to have a ketamine clinic we are. in Kigali. Okay. Um, and and so this is a really new and kind of innovative way of um, working with PTSD, mm. depression, um, and some other disorders. But mm. really, I think our focus here at the beginning will be on treatment-resistant depression. So, for example, if you've been diagnosed with depression, yeah. you've tried medication, it really doesn't work mm. for you, you would be a great candidate mm. for ketamine treatments. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, and this is exciting to me because, you know, you see, um, it's kind of like you try something for many, many years and then everybody thinks, okay, this is it. You know, mm. we've, we've uh, reached, you know, where yeah. we know how to treat uh, mental health disorders. And then something but else comes. Haven't, yeah. yeah, and then there's this whole new um, wave of innovation mm. um, and, you know, the research and the science behind it really backs it up. Um, mm. So it's very exciting. Mm. And the ketamine treatment, I mean, I know that there's also a controversy around that, right? It's yeah. Not, we yeah. don't need to go into that. Well, you can go into we that. We can? You yeah. can go into that, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 um, hard. Like, is it like used to, is it to treat horses or? So so ketamine is an anesthetic, Okay. right? So it's, it's used in operations. We okay. use it in Rwanda. We use it in the U.S. Everybody, it's very old. Mm. Um, it's been around for 40, 50 years. So there's nothing terribly exciting about it as an anesthetic other than you tend not to have respiratory distress when you administer it, which is a good thing. Mm. So yes, it's also used in veterinary medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing about ketamine is that it has dissociative properties. Mm. And this is the thing that they're capitalizing on to um, enhance the neurophysiology of the treatment mm -hmm. of ketamine for depression and mental health disorders, that dissociative experience is very powerful mm -hmm. and very meaningful. And mm -hmm. then it gets integrated into the therapeutic 
um, setting. So you you would have a ketamine treatment, an infusion of ketamine, and then you do a therapeutic session after mm. um, to integrate that yes. experience. Mm. Um, ketamine is a party drug. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know about here, but in the U.S., mm. um, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, Special K. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... Um, that's very dangerous. Mm. Um, and, I, and I'm saying it's very dangerous, especially nowadays, because mm. one of the things that's been happening in the U.S., especially over the last year, maybe two years, is that fentanyl, and mm. I don't know if you've been reading about it, but fentanyl is being put in everything. Mm. Um, and so you could be, you know, smoking marijuana, and it has fentanyl in it, and you mm. can die. Wow. It, it's... Um, you need just a micro, micro amount of fentanyl, and it can kill you. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea that it's in whatever drug you're using. So, it, you know, I think um, people who have a tendency to use drugs recreational, mm-hmm. uh, in a recreational way, really need to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, so it's dangerous. Mm. I mean, fortunately, we don't have it here, mm. um, as far mm. as I know. Mm. Uh, we don't have it here. I haven't seen any cases where, you know, young people have died from a fentanyl overdose here. But it's it's extremely tragic, mm. and um, there's no second chance. Mm. And so the idea here is to have a very controlled, um, yes. you know, and the ketamine clinic. Cases in the beginning. Yeah, yes. yeah. It will be very medically supervised and, and very... Mm. very controlled which it should be Mm. and Um, is it a a one you talked about like dendrites growing like is it a one time administering of Um, this drug so for for treatment resistant depression the kind of standard um, dosing Mm. is six treatments over three weeks so two two and two Mm. Um, and treatments usually uh, the infusion is about 40 50 minutes um, and then there's some downtime, mm. um, you know, where you kind of come back. Mm. And then um, either that day or the next day, you could do a therapy session with your therapist. Um, and then, you know, it's really, we'll be really looking carefully at how are people doing um, so that it's not a cure, mm. um, it is a treatment. Um, so the the goal is to have a treatment and then to not have depression symptoms for as long as possible, right? Mm. So that could be six months. It could be a year. Um, some people um, have their six treatments and they don't have depression. Mm. So we don't really know how mm. people will respond here. Mm. Um, but this is something that mm. definitely will be mm. no, that's keeping very track of. And very informative as well. I think it's important for people to know that um, therapy is not just like one big broad term. You know, there are different uh, methods and techniques and you right. need different things for different cases. Right. Um, and also to hear like this is the innovation that's coming out. It's not all lost, you know, if you've you know tried different yeah. treatments over the years. And, yeah. There's, there are other treatments, um, TMS. Mm. So it's... Um, transcranial magnetic stimulation mm, I think I've heard of that one actually yeah it's yeah. this machine and you put this like mm. helmet on mm. and they do mapping of the brain and then they um, do deep penetration of stimulation with magnets mm. into the brain it doesn't hurt you don't feel anything mm. um, and it's very successful for mm. depression and yeah so wow. uh, there are different things yeah. you know it's not just all about um, mm. what what we have here yes, you know absolutely well that's very good um to end um i mean we've covered various a things. lot yeah <laughs> we've talked about trauma childhood trauma childhood in general attachment styles um now you know ending on like you know therapy techniques um i think to end i'm trying to think about how best to end this i mean for someone who wants to be healthy, you know, this is like a very big question as well. Um, in addition to therapy, what are some of the things that you've found to be very useful in like day-to-day living mm. um, that people can do in addition to, let's say, seeking professional help? 
Um, because there's such a direct connection between the physical body mm. and the mind. Mm. Um, so we know that nutrition affects mood. Mm. Um, we know that exercise decreases depression. Mm. Um, so if you really want to get healthy, mm. y- you need to exercise. Mm. You need to eat um, you know, healthy food. Um, I think those two, just in and of themselves, um, really can be extremely helpful, especially mm-hmm. if you have mild to moderate depression. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot to you know, reduce or eliminate the depression mm-hmm. just through exercise and, and uh, good nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also working on, on you know, having a positive mindset, being mm-hmm. optimistic, being positive um, can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, reading, I mm. <laughs> I encourage people to read, mm. you know, or explore. Google, you know, mm. if you have a question, Google it. You can find anything, mm. you know. So so really exploring, learning. The more you know, mm. um, the more aware you are. The more options you have. Mm. Can make better choices. Right. Sleeping. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I also sometimes think people kind of easily approach therapy as let me go get fixed, but you have to like complement it uh, with other habits in your life. Yeah, you know, and and really, therapy doesn't fix you. Yeah, um, it, it's a process, mm-hmm. so it's a way of giving you the strategies mm-hmm. um, on how to approach problem solving, how mm-hmm. to feel about yourself in a positive way. Um, how to communicate better, more effective communication. So it's really kind of psychoeducation for yourself. Mm. Um, it's a journey. Uh, you don't get fixed, mm. you know, in, in one like session or even six sessions, you're not fixed. And, and life is a process. Mm. So you might be good right now, and then Something 20 happens. years from now, you know, mm. you, um, yeah, so it's a continuous a journey to learn more about yourself and to, mm. you know, take care of yourself as you go along in life. Mm. That's good. In your many years of practice, um, what is one thing that you can say that determines, you know, whether someone like has like successful outcomes in life, I mean, regardless of um, the challenges that they have experienced versus, let's say, those who don't. Is there like such a very clear... Successful outcomes in life? Um. Yeah, because I think think where I'm coming from is like, you can have two people in the the same family Mm. go through the same thing. Um, Of course, you know, they're going to react to it differently because they're different, right? Right, they're different people. Um, But sometimes you hear stories of like people who have gone through the same things but you know for some they struggle with it for the rest of their lives right for others they you know even get more fire and energy from it and they you know right. succeed yeah what is like the big difference there or determinant of these different outcomes i mean i think there are a lot of factors yeah. um you know, so I think it's really about resiliency mm-hmm. and how do you become resilient um it's I think trying to see things in a positive light. Mm. Um, it's um, being able to forgive yourself and others mm. um, for what's happened. Um, it's being able to acknowledge that you're going to make mistakes and that mm. you do the best you can. Um, you know, it's really just kind of knowing that life is going to give you some really hard times mm. and some really great times mm. and living in the moment and appreciating what's happening right now. Um, so I, I think there are many different mm. factors, but I, I really think a lot of it is mindset. Mm. Um, how you, you know, if you approach life as in a basically positive way, and of course bad things are going to happen, yeah. but um, and you're going to deal with those. But if you really have a, you know, the, the world is not such a scary, horrible, awful place, and people are not, you know, intrinsically evil, even mm. though people can be very evil. Um, 
giving life the benefit of the doubt, mm. I think, is really helpful. Mm. Hard to do, mm. um, but I think if you approach life in a in a more positive way, mm. yeah, you tend to enjoy it more. Yeah, that's good. That's a very good way to end. You know, giving life the benefit of the doubt. I like that. Uh, Dr. Cindy Cassidy, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, your experience, your knowledge. This has been very insightful for me. Um, and I know it has been very insightful for our audience. Um, I think one thing I can tell people, you know, as you learn all of these things, you know, think about, you know, one or two things that you can either like research more about or incorporate in your life so that, you know, it's more useful to you. Um, yeah, until next time, please take care. Thank Bye. you. Bye. <laughs>